You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Helen Farmer with you on today's episode of Farmer's Kitchen. We were delving into mental health of chefs with a man behind the Dubai Chef Collective, James Knight Pacheco. He was talking about how things have changed and his hopes for the future when it comes to chefs' well-being. Taking you to France with Chef Christophe from the Millennium Plaza in downtown. He's been out on the farm. What ingredients has he been picking up? We were in conversation with the team from Spinney's as well, delving into a new issue of Nourish magazine, plus Gen Z's spending and eating habits. We were discussing consumer behaviours in this demographic, and you might be surprised. We were speaking to Dean Henry, functional medicine health coach, about supplements. Do you really need them? And what should you be adding to your water? Plus, the history and evolution of the Dubai brunch. Delving into the archives with Lisa Fleischer. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are asking, does your age impact what and how you buy and consume food? Seda Solma says yes. CEO and founder of the Idea Atelier is with us now. We're talking Gen Z behaviours in food. For the last few decades, she's been working with clients in the F&B space, helping advance their growth, their revenue, their profitability through innovation with purpose, she says, and bringing new products to market. Sada, we love talking to industry insiders. I think this is a really interesting perspective because, well, we're going to unpack Gen Z in particular, but I wanted to ask you first, what fascinates you about consumer behavior? Why is this something that you've turned into your life work? Thank you, Ellen, so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure. So consumer behavior is really an intriguing subject for me. You know, when I went to school in marketing, that was like the thing that really absolutely fascinated me. And I see this every day, especially in the Middle East. We have such a young population here. And, you know, I'm one of those people when you go to the supermarket, I'm there for two hours because I love to (laughs) see how people shop. And it depends on their age very much. So some people are just shopping on comfort. So they know exactly what they want. They go to the shelf, grab the brand. And some people are more impulse driven. And I see that more and more with younger generations. You know, more colors, more graphics, more visually appealing products are attracting them. So it's very fascinating and it's so dynamic. That's why I love the FMB sector so much. It's, it's, it's so funny. So my local spinnies, they had a bit of a, a jig, rejig a few, a few months ago. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this has completely thrown me off. How dare they move my, you know, whatever it was. But what was interesting is by even moving around a store in a different way, I was being encouraged to check out something else. Things were catching my eye that I hadn't seen before. And there's some amazing technology that, you know, tracks eye level and, you know, time spent in certain areas. But what what role do you think our age has, our, I, I guess, our generation on how we might behave in a supermarket? I think the drivers are very different, you know, as we go through life. So when you're kids, you're more driven, you know, towards the colors and towards the more indulgent type of products. And that's exactly why actually retailers put those products at eye level for kids, you know, by the cashiers to grab and go. As we get older, we become more mature and wise, I guess, in our choices. And we see that already happening. Um, so I guess your drivers change with time and what you're looking for in a product really mm-hmm. changes. There's a lot of talk around brand, but also price. And obviously, with the current uh, inflation and the situation happening in the global markets, we also see value for money becoming a big trigger for many consumers. What's interesting is when I went back to the UK, um, a lot of the supermarkets have these, you know, big kind of end of aisle promotions or, you know, big kind of like, you know, buy one, get one free and big price stickers. And that's not something we see an awful lot of in the UAE. And I'm sure... 
you know, the science behind sales must be really interesting to you as well. Absolutely. And I, I, Helen, I want to talk a little bit about the precision targeting. Uh, you know, some categories are very masculine targeted. Like I will give energy drinks as an example. You know, they're talking power, right? Dark colors, uh, very powerful names, things like that. So I think there's like a gap, for instance, attracting females into that category. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. You know, you can't target everyone uh, efficiently, and you're actually targeting no one if you do that. So more and more we see, even when you take females, females at a certain age have different requirements. So pregnant women have different needs than menopausal women. Menopausal women have different needs than a teenager uh, female. So companies, they have to diversify, unfortunately, their portfolio, which brings complexity into mm-hmm. their uh, business. But that is really the right way to target many consumers at the same time with your brand. A message here. Um, this is from Will saying, is there any truth that you shouldn't go to the supermarket when you're hungry? Or is that a bit of a myth? <laughs> I think it is true. I think it's true. I went, I was thirsty yesterday and I could barely carry my shopping bag out. Absolutely. Bought, bought so many drinks. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's definitely not a myth. It's a fact. So I will give you a little tip just grab a protein bar that really gives you that indulgence but at least you feel not so guilty because you're eating something high protein but i would definitely say it's a yes so how do you then use this information that you you know you pull together with idea Tele to, to work with companies and their decision making how can you kind of explain demystify the process a little bit for absolutely us, so what we do is we really first dig into the insights of the consumers we need to understand what they're looking for and what is really missing um, because unless you have an unmet consumer need in the market you cannot properly innovate and bring a differentiated product to the market so the first step is really understanding the insights then we go into like an ideation workshop so i love actually working with my clients and ideating the the product ideas together so i'm empowering them by creating creating the right atmosphere and by bringing fresh thinking into their process so they can actually generate the best ideas they can. We're going to be unpacking Gen Z in particular next. Joining us in the studio, Seda Solomaz, CEO and founder of Idea Atelier. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Taking a deep dive into consumer behaviours and talking Gen Z in particular now with Seda Salmaz, CEO and founder of Idea Atelier. We've also got Gen Z Chloe in the studio to say yay or nay. Okay, Seda, let's talk a little bit about some of the preferences that Gen Z have when it comes to talking food in particular here. What are they doing? Absolutely. So I want to start with the first one, which is Gen Z has a clear preference towards healthy and sustainable options. So there's a misperception in the market that Gen Z, all they care about is the indulgence. That is partially true. They are driven by indulgence, but at the same time, they are looking at their health proactively. And it's not just physical health. They're more worried about their overall well-being, mental health, emotional health. So a lot of Gen Z has experienced actually anxiety. They have sleep issues. So this is where functional food and beverages are really coming into play. So beyond the physical nourishment, we see a big drive for energy products, protein, hydration, mm-hmm. um, gut health, immunity, these kind of benefits. And for women, of course, collagen. That's what I was going to say, bit of, a bit of collagen. Um, Chloe, what's your what say? Yeah, I've bought a few collagen powders. Here. I buy them and then I just 
don't like them. I, do you know what I wish? I wish that it was like like when you buy a book and it just automatically goes into your brain. I wish if I bought supplements, I just they just somehow well, find like their way into my body. Testers would be great instead of having to buy the big tub. I with, I'm with you on that. <laughs> Can I ask about influence? Because a lot of these products. You know, we're not watching TV necessarily in the same way that we used to, which was how an awful lot of advertising uh, was, you know, was, was leveraged. What about the role of social media and influencers? Exactly. So Gen Z actually grew up with TikTok and Instagram, right? So this is really driving a lot of the recommendations uh, amongst the generation. So influencer recommendations are important, but also peer reviews. And this is where we see a lot of sharing of TikTok videos. Let's say if somebody finds it useful, they will share it with their friends. Mm. And then they do a lot of online reviews as well. So social media is a big influencer on Gen Z. But I also want to touch on the brand relationships because uh, paid ads is not really working for Gen Z because they know there's money involved there. So what is really working is actually going back to the basics. So if you want to connect to Gen Z consumers, you need to be in front of their face. So, you know, I'm an old school marketeer. Uh, I think guerrilla marketing is coming back. So you need to connect to your consumers at every touch point and don't just rely on the paid ads. Super interesting. What about that convenience piece? You know, talking there growing up as, you know, digital natives expecting things quickly exactly so they do have very fast-paced lives and convenience is very important for them so they are heavy users of uh, quick service restaurants food delivery apps and ready to cook meals Uh, one of the things we're seeing as a trend is air fryer for instance is becoming very popular with gen z because it is fast much faster than an oven so a lot of the producers are actually innovating products that can be in the air fryer and have the same taste and texture as you would expect in a quick serve restaurant Lastly, I wanted to ask you about, we've seen a lot of uh, discussion around the the job roles and a company culture that Gen Zs are being attracted to. Is that the case for food as well? Are they looking for the values, the ethics, the feel-good factor? This is 100% true, uh, Helen. So they do care about the ethical and the environmental impact of the products that they consume. I think coffee and tea, for instance, is doing great in this manner uh, because they do communicate ethical sourcing. They talk about the farmers. And these are the things that really appeal to Gen Z. Another thing is like plant-based diets. Uh, this is actually, you know, I, there's a myth in Middle East. They say nobody cares about the environment. This is so untrue. Gen Z deeply cares about the environmental impact. And this is why they're actually making wiser choices. So it's so interesting to think about how this information is is used. Um, Sada, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And Chloe, what's your take? It feels like she's reading my mind. Oh, bang on the money with the R&D. Producer Chloe, always a superstar. Sada Salmas, if anyone that wants to find out more about you and, of course, Idea Atelier, what's the best way of getting in touch? So LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch. They can also follow me on Instagram, Innovate with Seda Solmas. There you go. If you want to send me the word idea or the light bulb emoji, I will hook you up. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to chefs, to tastemakers, restaurateurs and industry insiders. And I feel like... Our next guest ticks an awful lot of those boxes. James Knight Pacheco has appeared on TV, cooked alongside some huge names, likes of Raymond Blanc, Gordon Ramsay, very own Jason Atherton. But it's his work as a mental health advocate that's put him at the heart of the chef community here in Dubai. He started the Dubai Chefs Collective back in 2020 to help this demographic in particular and open up the topic of mental health within the hospitality industry. And recently scooped a trophy at the Mental Awards for his work James, so nice to have you with us. How are you? 
Pleasure to be back, Helen. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask you if you don't mind about the timing of starting the Dubai Chess Collective back in 2020. It was a time when the whole world was struggling with mental health and uncertainty. And I think the F&B industry perhaps more than most. Was that a coincidental timing Were you, or was it already in the works? Um, it was already in the works, to be honest. Um, we were already discussing with the, all of the groups of chefs how we can support each other more. And then it just so happened that at that time, you know, you know what happened? The world fell apart. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we all decided just to get together and actually become a proper kind of conglomerate, mm. if you like. Um, but predominantly, it was for mental health. Now, none of us are psychologists in the group. However, we recognize the fact that um, by simply talking, and it wasn't necessarily about the mental health part of it, it was just about having a chat mm -hmm. and how everybody feels and the uncertainty or whether it could have been like an Instagram live, whether you're cooking a, a steak back then or you're doing the banana bread or yeah, the sourdough, classic. but it was just about support. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, thank God, now it's just gone on to bigger and better things. We now have almost over a hundred of the most senior possible chefs, you know, that you could imagine in the country. Uh, we're very proud of that. And soon looks like we're going to be rolling it out for, for more, more junior members. Let's go back in time. Because when we think about when chefs really kind of be became characters, I guess, and it's that very big stereotype of, you know, the flames going up in the kitchen, the screaming and the swearing. And, you know, we've got people in common. I know we know we've got a few chefs in common. And I remember speaking, even my brother-in-law, the chef, like back in the day, you know, working at Odette's, working at St. John and, you know, just like the burns up his arms and the 18-hour days and him coming to Dubai. And I'm not exaggerating, having not really seen sunshine, in quite a long time. Um, but that was part of the kind of the drama and the allure and the, oh, it's, like a, it's a hard industry for hard people. And some of the mental health fallout of that has been pretty catastrophic. Would you mind speaking to, I guess, some of the experiences you might have had? I don't want to say back in the day, but, you know, you have been a chef for a couple of decades <laughs> now. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about the realities of being in some of those, well, the white heat. Yeah, look, um, the truth is back then when I was certainly growing up to be a chef, the, that was the only thing I really wanted to do. And in order to become the very best, you had to work with, you know, the, in these kind of hardcore kitchens. Um, and at the time, you didn't really think about the mental health part of it because you didn't have physical time. Uh, you're working, as you said, 18, 20 hour days and you were just thinking about how to get through the day mm -hmm. continuously. Now, if I was to set my mind back then, um, I'll give you a, a prime example. Um, I would normally set my alarm. I'd get back. This was in London. I'd get back to the apartment at sort of two o'clock, two in the morning. And I'd set my alarm. I'd set my alarm for six. However... I didn't know what anxiety was back then. And I would wake up at five with my heart literally beating out of my chest. And I thought, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, you know, it's normal, whatever. I'm not going to think about it. But if I really think about it then, that was full on anxiety or panic attacks. And it didn't happen once. It continued. But because I was in the thick of it and my goal was to become the very best at what I did... 
I thought it's n- nothing of it, mm-hmm. you know. But nowadays, if you if you have that now, you know, you have to go to the doctor. You get have to get checked out, so on and so forth. Well, we also didn't have the words for it. I don't think a few decades no, ago, we didn't. You, you didn't have the time, and there wasn't really the vocabulary. And I think there was this idea of like drive and ambition, and like paying the price for success is really integral. And then to, you know to the to the problem, and then. You have this idea of, I know I just had his name, Gordon Ramsay, because, you know, he is kind of hailed in, in media as being this big, scary beast. And then for anyone that's met him in person, it's my experience. He knew all the names of the My Little Ponies and played really nicely with my three-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The <laughs> Lo- thing is... Lovely guy. Yeah, and, and I've, I've had experience with Gordon personally. I've cooked in his house. Um, when you sit next to him, he's a lovely guy. Um, but it's actually the, the, the culture of the kitchen back then. It was nothing to do with him. He was purely the name and the business. That's right. But, but within especially London kitchens back then, it was, you know, it was super tough and incredibly competitive. Yeah. Super toxic environments. I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but I've since learned I've interviewed chefs who would burn their colleagues and yeah wild times the times are changing though and james knight pacheco is with us today talking about the dubai chefs collective what are some of the challenges facing dubai chefs in 2024 and ultimately what is that power of connection of communication of support doing to support them and their careers but also hopefully attract a whole other demographic to the industry away from these ideas of toxic stereotypes. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. In studio, we've got Chef James Knight-Pacheco. He has been on TV. He's worked in some of the biggest restaurants around the world and consults here in Dubai. And also, what we're talking about today... Dubai Chefs Collective started back in 2020, helping men and women in the chefing community with their mental health. He's won awards for his work. Um, and we're talking now about some of those challenges that were you know, there back in the day, James. What about now when people are coming together? What's, what's coming up in conversation? What are the challenges? Um, there's lots of different things, to be honest, but it's not as bad as it was previously. So... Um, I know you talk a lot about burnout. Mm. So at times they do have that. Um, it's, it's more frustrations also. Um, but to be honest, the, the best thing is, I find now, is that previously they, they were not opening up at all. So they had a kind of Vesuvius effect, I call it, holding it in and then, you know, unfortunately having some type of explosion. Yes, but now they, there's no shame in talking about it. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, is it a case of seeing other people come forward and, you know, whether as, you know, high profile chefs on TV talking about their struggles or indeed, I guess, people that are seen as opinion leaders and, you know, big characters in the Dubai community? Can it, does it have a bit of a ripple effect? If, if one person steps forward, you have a lot of people having Me Too moments. Oh, no, 100%. 100%. And we found that, you know, people generally tend to open up or, or you know, they have vulnerable moments. And, and then all of a sudden, a lot of different people come forward. So um, I'm super proud of the fact that all of these chefs and, and also much younger chefs, students even, they're, they're really not afraid anymore mm-hmm. to, to speak, to have that conversation open and honestly on the table. And then for us to have a kind of open dialogue, if you like, I would have never been allowed to say a single thing when I was, you know, training and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But now we do have those conversations and we are very mindful and, and we have those cultures, which is, I believe, really incredible. Do you feel like working conditions have changed? You were talking earlier there about getting, you know, three hours sleep and panic attacks when you were training. Um, are we seeing more, you know, regulated hours and, you know, more HR interest in avoiding burnout 
100%. So, so HR also involved, but also what we tend to do is uh, as, a, as a group uh, within work, we also talk about you know what uh, what the hours should be. How can we help people more? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly in the UK now, there you know there are four day work weeks within kitchens, which is unheard of, but it's been happening for some time now, which is phenomenal. Um, so yes, it is getting much much better. More open conversations, and I think it's just it's paving the way forward for the future. So, what would you like to see? For me, I think the most important thing is for to really have an open and honest conversation and what I call serious one-to-one time. It needs to be 15 minutes, whether it's with your general manager, whether it's with your executive chef, whether it's with your HR. But I think the most important thing is to welcome an open and honest conversation. And we all know that doesn't matter who we are in life. There's always something going on. Always. Especially when you look at just how, how transient the industry can be as well, you know, moving countries, moving companies, trying to establish what the culture of that kitchen might be. But if you have gotten, as you're doing now, you know, creating these conversations, having people who become their own ambassadors for mental health, for chefs, you know, going into kitchens and recognising maybe struggles that younger chefs might be having, that ripple effect just gets all the more powerful. That's just saying, James is amazing. Great person and role model. I don't think it's... I don't know. I didn't pay that person, by the way. Just <laughs> I lastly wanted to ask you about that decompression piece. For, you know, if you finally get home um, and you're hyped up after, you know, a night in the kitchen, are you watching programmes about food? Are you going to Netflix and watching Chef's Table? So, look, number one, the, the, the number one question um, my wife gets asked is, how many times does James cook for you? Which uh-huh. is never. Oh, um, she was sold a lie. <laughs> That's what she says. So, 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 no, basically, I mean, I do cook on occasion. Um, however, us, I will, I'll tell you, like most professional, us chefs, we, we're very happy with a, with a pot noodle or some spaghetti or a pizza on the sofa. It's either that or sports. Really? Yes. Proper escapism. So everybody's going out cycling, they're in the gym, you know. Jiu-jitsu's a big thing. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. Hatem. Yeah, he, he loves Hatem's doing into that. it. Yeah. So it's like a game of chess. So, so anything which completely takes your mind off things, mm-hmm. that's what people do. James, for anyone that wants to find out more about the Dubai Chefs Collective, you've got the podcast, so there's some really big deep dives with some um, local personalities and experts as well. What's the best way of getting in touch and finding out more? Absolutely. So um, you can get me on Instagram, uh, James Knight Pacheco or Dubai Chefs Collective, and there's links to the podcast there, so it'd be fantastic. We'll make it even easier. If you want to send me the word chef to 4001, I can send you those links so you can do your own work and enjoy some of these conversations. And they're so, so valuable. So we'd, we know that food tastes better when you've got a happy chef in the kitchen. You know, it really is. So thank, well, thank you on behalf of the diners, James. <laughs> Have a wonderful weekend. What are your foodie plans? Where are you going? What are you eating? Oh, my goodness. Um, so my mum's in town. Yay, so, nice. yeah, I think we're, we're going to, to, to Abu Dhabi and there's a couple of openings that we're going to have a look at. So, yeah. All right. You're a star. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Um, I'm glad we went on camera a few minutes ago because I almost fell off my chair because our next guest, he came into the studio and I was like, yeah, he's probably probably about my age, maybe a bit younger. No, he's 50, he's a grandfather and is absolutely, <laughs> Chloe's jaw has just dropped in the booth. <laughs> Dean Henry's with us, a functional certified um, health coach when we talk about functional medicine in particular this hour. So clearly something's working for you, Dean. You help people with their skin, chronic anxiety, insomnia, reducing body fat. I'm really afraid to ask this question. 
what does a typical day look like for you on the food and exercise and supplementation front? <laughs> um, thank you for having me, firstly. Pleasure. Uh, so for me, um, I, I'm, I'm fairly sensible. You know, I, I'm, I sometimes start the day with an ice bath, which is probably the most extreme thing I do. Uh, and then after that, I, you know, I lift weights, I eat protein, I eat whole foods, I eat fruit, I eat veg. And, um, you know, I don't take that many supplements. I used to. I've, I've been full circle. You know, okay. I've been doing this for quite some time now. Well, you were probably biohacking before I even knew what biohacking was. So for those of us who are not kind of in the industry as such, would you mind explaining and expanding that term a little bit? And I guess what it means to you. Yeah, I think what it means to me now is that it's about using uh, modern day technology and ancient wisdom, bringing the two together to have the, to, for a uh, health optimised outcome and cognitive performance to perform at your very, very best, taking those categories into perspective. Yeah. Longevity seems to be the word that everyone is banging on about. And some people are taking it to absolute, I mean, insania degrees, which I find, I find quite entertaining to observe. There's never going to be any real life application for, you know, the other 99% of us. But I think you're right in terms of there's a lot of information, a lot of research going on, but there's awful lot of like misinformation out, outside. You know, you've got people who just because they put expert in their, you know, TikTok or Instagram bio, they suddenly think they should be listened to. Um, what are some of the big misconceptions you're noticing right now, you know, as a functional medicine coach? What are you like? Well, that's just absolute garbage stop giving them the views and the likes yeah i think specifically it's hard to be specific but what we see is a lot of influencers at the moment and then you see an influencer that was never really into health before or maybe was into health but now they've got a new product and yeah. and then like, where's that degree certificate or <laughs> show, show me show me the creds i'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, so. <laughs> I don't need to. Uh, and um, you know so they brought out a new supplement and their collagen's better than everybody else's collagen mm. uh you know their protein's better than everyone else's protein and, I, and i've i've had supplement companies for quite a while now and i know that most people get their supplements from the same people and then they put a white label on it and then theirs is suddenly better because they're whatever well, celebrity name right? May, yeah exactly maybe the marketing's better the market exactly um so i want to ask about superfoods because i feel like that when we're talking about food on the show you know th- these are kind of things that people can go into the supermarket and you know pick up which ones are worth our hard-earned dirhams? Um, and ultimately, if you wouldn't mind kind of giving some examples, but also explaining what they do do in the body, Dean. Okay. So superfood, I feel, is a bit of a marketing term. Um, so because anything could be a superfood depending on what you need. So for me, I tried to simplify it with the most nutrient-dense food. Uh, and that for me would be, and not everyone likes to hear this, is organ meat. Uh, number almost number one uh, alongside eggs which is very nutrient dense and then all your basics your cruciferous vegetables your leafy greens you know your dairy uh, full fat dairy of course mm-hmm. and um, your whole grains you talked before about being like just quite normal and sensible is there anything that you absolutely would never eat or drink is there anything you're like no it's just not it's just not worth it there's absolutely no evidence that that is going to do my body any good at all processed meat do you know what I had a functional um, doctor in the studio a few years ago and I asked her the same question. She said exactly the same thing and it's really, really stayed with me. Yeah, so so toxic. You don't digest it properly. It's just so far removed from what we should be consuming. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you know, there's lots of uh, claims some for, for uh, chronic disease when you're consuming too much processed We've food. We've seen in the headlines even this week, you know, ultra processed food, um, ageing us increasing diabetes, um, you know, even getting into cancer as well. So it's a really, really hot topic right now. And guiding us through, we've got Dean Henry, functional medicine certified health coach. We're asking next about hydration. 
I don't want to wish away the spring, but it is getting a bit warm out there. So how much should we be drinking? And should we be adding anything? That's next. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're talking with Dean Henry now, functional medicine certified health coach. What does that mean? It means we can talk about whole body approach. We can talk food, supplementation, hydration, movement as well. Even he helps people with a whole range of issues, conditions from anxiety to reducing body fat through a bit of a buzzword. But we're talking about the real nuts and bolts of biohacking. And I think the weather's gorgeous right now, but I'm very much aware that probably in about six weeks time, we're going to be moaning a little bit. So can we talk hydration? Because a bit like that 10,000 steps a day, there's a lot of buzz around. You need to be having eight glasses of water. Dean, what is the actual truth about what we need? Sure. It's a very individual approach, as, as these things usually are. And it depends on your activity. It depends on your lifestyle. It depends how much you're moving, you're sweating. Uh, generally, I would say to go for between two and three litres a day, just as a, as a maintenance. But of course, if you're in the gym or you're outside running in this this weather or in six weeks time like you say then you're going to be sweating a lot more Mm. so in that instance you probably need to drink more water there's only so much water you can actually consume right so then you need to start adding electrolytes so electrolytes being your you know your your sodium your magnesium and potassium so you add that because you're releasing but when you're sweating you're losing your electrolytes and electrolytes do what they say on the tin they they give your body electric boosts you know it's really it's giving you that energy it stops muscle cramps um and it keeps you high it keeps you more hydrated so water and electrolytes are very important how do you choose a good one there's a lot on the market i've seen them you know from supermarket shelves to you know your likes of your eye herbs and super specialist expensive you know athlete aimed products any any kind of guidance there you need to look at the ratio and generally if it doesn't have a gram of salt in there one gram of salt then it's probably more for taste than Mm. the objective can we give any brands a mention anything Uh, you like uh, they're called LMNT, or they like to be called Element, but it's L-M-N-T. Uh, they have a really good ratio. They have one gram of sodium, and uh, they taste quite nice. Good. But they do taste a little bit salty, but that's, that's the idea. Fine. You can buy some of the brands here, um, but then you need to look at the profile and then probably just add a quarter of a teaspoon of Celtic salt. Of or, good salt. Yeah. Good salt. Okay. Yeah. Um, supplementation. You alluded to the fact that earlier, Dean, that you used to take a lot of supplements, and now you've kind of come full circle. Again, it's super, super individual in terms of what someone might be deficient in, but and also what life stage they're at. You know, maybe someone that's just given birth is going to be very different to a perimenopausal woman, and the same with you know young men and older men. Um, what kind of you? What have you noticed in clients? Have you noticed any trends in terms of? Is it that classic? Everyone's lacking vitamin D, and everyone could do with a good omega. What What do you tend to tend to recommend? I think that I mean the vitamin D is a key one for me because I've probably seen over six years probably five hundred different blood results, and and I've seen you know that actually I don't think I've ever seen anyone sufficient in vitamin D uh, without taking vitamin D, which is you know quite scary really. So mm. you know even if you're out in the sun every day, some people are just not pro- processing it. Um, but I think for me now. I have to say, after going the full cycle, and I advise my clients this all the time, less is more. You know, we probably do need two, three, maybe five different supplements at different times throughout the year. Uh, but, you know, I've seen people take 180 supplements. Stop this, it. Yeah. I've seen, oh, there's even a guy now that's he's, he's slowing down his biological age. And, you know, he's, I think he's taken over 100 
capsules a day. It'd be rattling. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it, for, for me, you know, we just need to get back to basics. If you can't get the basics right, then yes, take as many supplements as you need to. But let's get the basics right first and then you need less supplements. Let's talk peptides, another word that I've only become familiar with in the last, I was going to say a couple of years, probably last year. Okay. What are they all about? What's the history and what can they do for us? So peptides, uh, they're nothing new actually. Uh, they are um, small chain amino acids. So uh, when we consume protein, the body if it's functioning properly, needs to break the protein down to amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of life. We, uh, we have around about 7,000 different peptides in the body. And uh, like all good things, they start to de- depreciate as we age. Mm-hmm. So these peptides, are only, we're only consuming what's actually naturally created in the body. And what we're trying to do is replenish what we're losing as we age. How? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, presumably there's different peptides for different purposes or ages and stages you've got you've got a company that does kind of targeted peptides what are some of the categories yeah so we have 20 21 different peptide bioregulators bioregulators is a subcategory of a peptide so it's regulating the biology so simply put it's creating balance for the target area so a common one or popular one at the moment is the ovary peptide we see really quick results on that for uh, women that's had their menstrual cycles are off or they're suffering from pms we see very quickly that their these symptoms are mitigated uh, completely or definitely you know not not quite as as fast um in gents and in gents uh, we have one called testes so it's probably quite obvious what that one does and again because it's regulating the target area it's improving the functionality of the testicles so you can now start to produce testosterone at the rate we should be producing testosterone at and not what a lot of men are because the testosterone is dropping by about 50 percent of what it was 50 years ago wow gosh that's a scary number that's a conversation for another day mm. um dean thank you so much for anyone that wants to Follow, obviously, hear more about, about your journey from, you know, aspiring athlete to injury to now. I mean, what a life to be living between Ibiza and Dubai. And, and, uh, I, I liked the sound of you before I met you. And now I'm like, he looks 25. He's a grandfather and he lives in Ibiza. Luckily, you're, you are a nice guy. <laughs> <Dean Henry. laughs> For anyone kind. that wants to find out more about UAE Peptides or, of course, find out about you, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, at UAEPeptides.com. Perfectly. If you, if you want to send me the word health, I'll send you that so you can find out more, dig into the research and see how it could be helping you. Great to have you in Dubai. Lovely. Thank you for having me. Helen. Absolute pleasure. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Prepare to feel inspired now. We've, we, so many of us have a business idea and then don't do anything with it. In the new issue of Nourish magazine, we're celebrating the... The entrepreneurs really is part of the Spinney's Incubator Programme. We're also going to be talking about what else is on the pages with Karen D'Souza, the Deputy Content Editor at Spinney's. How are you, Karen? I'm very well, thank you, Helen. Now, you can't win the Spinney's Prize, but... Unfortunately. Unfortunately, but you're very well placed because your office is above the Maidan branch where we were filming last week with Hathamata. Yes. I love that store. It is just beautiful. So you probably have a bit of insider info on, well, the, the really good stuff. What would you spend 500 dirhams on if you got it? So it's a huge temptation. I go down every day. Whether or not I need something, I will spend money in that store. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't help it. Um, For me personally, I love Wensleydale with cranberries. Me too. And you know what you started doing is putting it into cubes. It's even easier in in little pots. Exactly. Just just pick at it and pretend it's it's grapes. So I go down and pick up a pot and that's my snack in the office. It's cheese. Uh, (laughs) Cheese. Um, and Scottish salmon fillet. Oh, she's a woman of taste. <laughs> Let us know your payday treat. Frank saying lamb chops. Do you know what? And they display them so beautifully in spinnies. What do you treat yourself to when you're being paid to? 
win 500 dirhams to spend in store. So the new magazine is out now? It is out today, yes, and it is absolutely beautiful. It really is. It's yeah, I mean, you can see it right here. The food, I got a special copy. And I'm hoping I'll nab it. The food photography in that magazine is absolutely stunning and every time I pick it up, I'm just it's so full of well, ideas obviously about what to do with certain ingredients, but you know, special occasions. We've got a few in this issue, yes. um, but also really plugged into Dubai Foodies community. So you know, interviews with chefs and talking trends. It's a fantastic publication, and I really, really do mean that. Um, this is a big month. You know, we've got Ramadan starting in the next two weeks. Uh, we've got Easter as well. Um, we were just talking um, earlier in the week about produce, and basically, it's a big month for lamb. It is a big, a big month for lamb. Yes, And we are going to be talking in a little bit more detail about some of those features, about some of those dishes. Um, You've also got um, a feature called Bread of Life. Tell us about that. Oh, yum. I mean, who doesn't love bread? Uh, And bread has such a significance in Easter as well as Ramadan across cultures. Um, And we were inspired by several of those regional breads from from Greece, from Italy, from Iran. so we so so we took the we took the feature and um decided to showcase several different kinds of breads um obviously we, we put our own take on it so there was um you've all heard of babka bread right so we made babka buns with lotus biscoff spread oh keep talking sounds good <laughs> sounds good um then we looked at pide which is which is the boat shaped kind of bread mm. um and we made it with uh, red grapes and goat's cheese oh that works um and we looked at an iranian bread called barbary which is a sort of flat bread um has a hardish kind of pretzely exterior and it's softer inside and that's really uh, great for like uh, sopping up uh, a lot of stews and soups and things like that and we've given it a citric twist with black lime that's um and how, how, i mean are you not just eating all the time i mean yes yes because <laughs> <laughs> you've got the test kitchen there you've got the store downstairs and you know, a big part of it is obviously working with some of the, the chefs that you know are a part of the Spinney's team developing new products. There's the cafe downstairs yeah. as well. It's um, it's safe to say we are eating all the time, and even if we aren't in the studio kitchen or we aren't downstairs in the uh, new product development kitchen, there is someone from the produce team bringing bringing in fresh samples oh, of strawberries. Should we get these? Yes, exactly. Try these strawberries. Try this watermelon. Try these mangoes. So, yeah, we're eating basically the live long day. I love it. Karen D'Souza with us today. She's a deputy content editor at Spinney's. We are looking at the new issue of Nourish magazine. It's on shelves today. I've written an article on it about connecting with your kids and some surprising ways to kind of foster a relationship from everything from Lego to screen time. Believe it or not, there is method in the madness. Um, It is available right now. Up next, we are going to be talking about what I find a fascinating program. It's the Local Business Incubator winners, Spinney's Initiative, talking about fostering some incredible talent and ultimately putting them on the shelves. So we're giving you the scoop. Who could you be seeing in Spinney's very soon indeed? You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Joining us in studio from Spinney's is the deputy content editor, Karen D'Souza. We're delving into the pages of the new Nourish magazine. It is out now and it's been it's what I've been waiting for because it's where I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get them in the studio because we've got some announcements to make. The Spinney's Local Business Incubator winners. 
This is such an amazing opportunity for entrepreneurs at all stages of their journey from having an idea to having a fully fledged company that maybe just needs a bit of mentorship or indeed getting on the shelves of Spinney's. How on earth, Karen, do you and the team start to even think about who would be a good fit for this prize? I think we have to look at um, the kind of products they're offering, whether it aligns with our values as a company. Um, and b- basically, quality is what we always look for, right? Uh, whether our customers are going to identify with it, whether they are locally homegrown businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this year, we were absolutely overwhelmed and in awe of these entrepreneurs um, and their ideas that they come that they come up with. Shall we? Um, shall we talk? Yes. Can we say? Can we say who's? Okay. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, the, the first one. Let's start sweet. Oh yes, Marsh and Mallow, um, by Claire Kanj. Um, now Claire has had a lifelong love for sweets, haven't we? All? And um, she looked at marshmallow and decided, hmm, how can I make this different? So she decided to use regional flavors like cardamom, um, date. Um, rose petals and flavored marshmallow with these ingredients um, and has come up with um, a whole range of uh, marshmallow based products including ice cream and marshmallow and uh, marshmallow fluff which is great for topping chocolates or um, cakes cupcakes I need to make friends with her they also look very very chic they do. Which I know sounds like an odd thing to say when we're talking about marshmallows. So they are this kind of like this kiddie association, but mm. but they're really elevated and beautiful. And I think it would be a really fantastic gift. They're, yes. And they come in, uh, I mean, her packaging is beautiful. It's white and silver. Um, and she was inspired by the, the, the galaxy, basically, because mm. she, she realized that when you're carrying a box of marshmallows, they basically, they don't really weigh much. So it feels like you're carrying nothing at all. Uh, And she thought of the whole idea of zero gravity. And that's how she came up with the name Galactic Fluff for her products. Um, But yeah, and and I must add that they are sweetened. Most of them are sweetened with organic agave syrup instead of synthetic sugar. So congratulations, Claire. Marsh and Mallow, when, when, when can I, when can I eat them? Soon, soon, soon. soon. Yeah. Okay, please let me know. Um, we've also had a winner who's sat exactly where you're sitting now, uh, Mahal Tabchi, rather, from Tab Chili. Um, he is the king of the heat. Um, really incredible kimchi, sauerkraut, um, chili paste. He has fermentation workshops at his yes, store as well. Like, yes. Such a cool guy. Um, and now coming to Spinney's. Yeah. And actually, his his signature chili paste was developed ten years ago before he moved to Dubai. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's a, I think that's just I know this sounds really like cheesy, but it's just really nice to see good things happening for good people. Mm-hmm. And he yes. is good people. He's lovely. He yeah. is such a great guy, and obviously so passionate about what he does and sharing that knowledge. Just a, I really had a lot of time for him. So when I yeah. saw him in the pages, I was like, yes. <laughs> thrilled uh, we've got some it's not just the food though you've got some kind of home wares and like accessories and decor yes, as well would you mind yes. kind of giving a shout out so, to those winners yeah so there's uh, curate home by neeti tandan kashyap 
she has a background in manufacturing and she used to work in several export houses and uh, she were she has a love for all handmade indian textiles um, which she inherited from her mother and during covid she decided to work directly with those artisans because obviously they were suffering mm-hmm. um and that's how she developed curate home and uh, she she brings the most beautiful tableware linens and other home decor items it's a really, to the UAE. Yeah. Really nice compliment to things in store as well. We're going to run out of time, so let's give a couple of mentions as uh, Kerry Jewell, who we'll, we'll absolutely speak to, who's got top, um, copper top candles, absolutely beautiful essential oils. Speaking of which, Gypsy Rose Holistic, Natalie Rose, um, again, beautiful packaging, yeah. absolutely stunning. So she does like a headache oil that I need to get my hands on. Um, and even looking at eco-friendly sanitary products with Coven. So thank you so much. As I said, I'm just going, well, these are going to be great guests. I can't wait to get them in the studio. Um, Karen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Helen. Have a, have a much needed restful weekend. And the new Nourish magazine is on shelves now and loads of online content as well, right? Yes. Plus, of course, hop on over to the Spinney's Instagram. Some great resources for ideas, what to eat, some recipes and more. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. We are taking you to France now with the executive chef of the Millennium Plaza downtown Dubai. It is, he's here. He's brought me jam. Chef Christophe Prudhomme is with us today. He's been recognised as Master Chef by, I tell you what, an incredible organisation, the Metro Cuisinier de France Management Committee, based in Dubai. And I like it when chefs don't turn up to my studio empty-handed. You brought me some jam, or it sounds a little more exotic in French. How do you say jam in French? Confiture. Confiture. What flavour did you bring? Uh, berries. And all the berries are coming from UAE. Oh my goodness, we're going to be talking about this, not even farm to fork, but you know, farm to studio in a minute. But let's talk about you first, Chef. You've been in the UAE for 17 years, you've been in outside of France for more than 30. Uh, let's go back to your roots. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? I grew up in my dear country, a village of Normandy, oh. dear to my heart. And what are the smells, the foods that take you back to your childhood? Who was cooking? First, my parents were farmers. So basically, I handpick all the vegetables from the ground. I've worked with my parents, and this is where I could feel the smell. I could feel the taste of the food, all enjoying in the field, but as well around the table. That must have given you, without even realizing it, such a respect and knowledge for produce. Yes, it took a long time to come out of me. I just went, I did some business school at one stage, but deep inside, I think the flavor of the food was still inner and inside me. I can't imagine you in a suit instead of chef whites. <laughs> I really can't. I'm glad you found your path. And um, what about training, French style? It's still held up as being, you know, the, the gold class and, you know, chefs coming from all over the world, from Japan, from London to, to, to France and then also French then coming to London. You know, it's this kind of exchange of knowledge. What was your training like? My training has been very in the, in the different uh, environment of Michelin star places on brasseries type. But all over the world, you are lucky to meet different backgrounds, different nationalities, different heritage. Mm-hmm. Of course, in France, we have different techniques, but we learn. We learn from different countries, we learn from different people. This is how we grow up. This is we are becoming better and better. And that must be the case now in the kitchens. Um, you know, you've, I always think about... 
chefs being, it's a bit like the army. You know, you have these ranks, these, this, this hierarchy in the kitchen and now you're exec chef there at uh, Millennium Plaza downtown. How, how many nationalities do you think you have across the hotel? Maybe around 10 nationalities. Lots. And it's exciting because mm. you learn from everyone. Even from the minute you walk through the kitchen, you say a small bonjour or a small salam alaikum. Mm. And this is where you get the interaction and get the passion together. And also those family dinners as well when you're working in the kitchen, you know, everyone eating together before shift starts. Yeah. That must be lots of different cuisines that you're sharing as well. It's enjoyable. And yeah. even a few hours back, you know, even around one table, I cooked, we cook with a team, maybe five different flavors from Thai, from Sri Lankan, from Indian, from French. And the French is not the first. You know, we're all around the world, this is a very, very important message. Let's cook. We were talking earlier with uh, James Knight Pacheco about chef mental health. And as I said, you've been in the industry for a few decades now, Chef Christoph. And I wondered how do you feel the conversation has changed about working conditions, about chefs talking about challenges, how they're feeling? What do you think is happening in that space? You know, years for last 35 years, 35 years ago, things were completely different. We were only talking and thinking work, work. Nowadays, we all need to be very cautious about well-being, mm-hmm. about all chefs are around. They are, we have a life also. Everybody has a life. And this is the, the I guess, it's a double-edged sword of hospitality, isn't it? You know, you, you guys are the ones that are working hard when we're going out for a lovely meal or a special occasion. But, you know, we're, as you said, thinking more about you guys having time off, about being able to recharge your batteries, to go out to restaurants and have inspiration and travels. What about your travels? Where have you been from, from Dubai and, you know, into the region that you've brought back ideas to the hotel about food? Actually, I've been very, very lucky. I mean, of course, I travel back to France very often, but I go to, to Asia, I travel, I'm in Middle East quite a bit, and in USA. So this is where I catch all my knowledge and the, can feel and smell the core product. And this is where I give my background and heritage, where I can mar- mix them together. We're going to be talking next about Chef Christophe's Farm to Fork project, beautifully combining just what he's been talking about, that childhood on the farm with culinary expertise, with produce from right here in the UAE. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm dusting off my A-level French now because in studio we've got exec chef Christophe Prudhomme. He is from the Millennium Plaza downtown hotel here in Dubai. And we're celebrating produce because you've been going out on the farm. Where have you been and what have you been picking, chef? Actually, this is a very long journey. I like to drive to go around, you know, when you go from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, when you go to Sharjah, where you can feel the flower in your hand, when you can feel the honey. You are between, in between the bees, you know, and you go to the farm and you pick the basil, you pick the berries. This is just unbelievable, the flavors you can have. And what are you doing with it? You're bringing it back to the kitchens? Absolutely. I'm thrilled when I arrive sometimes with some boxes coming in front of the hotel. I look at the logo of the Hotel Dominion Plaza downtown and I just go into the kitchen and I say to my chef, let's go, let's go and cook. Oh, you brought me a little jar of jam, which... I mean, I could lie and say I used a spoon. I used my little finger and had a taste <laughs> of it during the, the break. And it was, it was delicious. Um, and you said there's no, there's no sugar in this. Not at all. Tell this me. is very natural. I start, you know, when you start gently with your honey, heat it up. And after the, the berries will express themselves, the berry, the blueberry, the red curry and the, the blackberry. Everything, the juice come out and just sizzle, cook slowly. slowly. I just want to go and get a baguette and some beautiful butter Voila. and have a little... 
That's dinner. That's dinner sorted. Um, tell us about the honey, because you went to Hatta for that. Absolutely. I was just within the, you know, the ground with the bees. And it's just amazing. You can look around. You have all this. this the, the bees is, is the full word. You cannot believe. You don't know the, the story of the bees. The amazing how they work, how they are regimented. It's a full life. Mm-hmm. It's fact, a full life. We should say, by the way, if you haven't been to the Hatta honey farm, um, especially if you've got kids, Go. It is such a lovely day out. My um, daughter was there for a school trip earlier this week and she came back being like, Mum, I saw this and I learned this and did you know this? And tasting the different honeys and being able to, you know, talk about, you know, flavour profiles. You mentioned mangrove honey earlier. Yes, absolutely. Tell us about mangrove honey. They're, they're all the flavours are very, very different. They come from different bees. They, w- they work differently and they pick up the, the, the herbs from different backgrounds. So basically, all the honey will have different flavor and personality. This is where you will be able to accommodate it, you know, to make some nice honey cake. You make a very simple yogurt, Greek yogurt, with a nice honey on the top. My God. Chef Christophe is with us today. Farm to Fork project is underway there at the Millennium Plaza in downtown. He grew up on a farm, and we're bringing a taste of that. Um, I know it's 1st of March. Ramadan is around the corner, Chef. Are you preparations underway for Ramadan and, and even into Eid? What are you working on? I'm so excited. We're going to bring new concepts. You know, it's the initiative of the uh, government and UAE as well. And our platform partners, Watermelon, we are all going to go to the farm. We're going to cook in the farm to give some show, to show the, the guests where the food comes from, where the vegetables come from. Wow. So it's, you're going to be having... Iftar on the farm? Absolutely. Not in the farm, where we will make some show on oh, the farm wow. to tease, to show our guests the authentic flavour, where we bring the vegetable from. So we've seen a real movement, um, and a lot of it is to do with the, the UA government's vision around sustainability and avoiding food waste, which I think can be a real problem. And we're going to be delving into this, of course, during Ramadan. How, what are you doing to kind of combat that and, and have sustainability as well as flavour as a priority at the, at the hotel? It's the whole project. That's why the UA government is working with us. We are all partners. It's very good to extract the best flavor of your food, but if you have too many wastage, mm-hmm. you go against yourself. Mm-hmm. So basically, we need to be very cautious on how many portions we are cooking to prevent the wastage mm-hmm. and as well, as well to make these people, to give food to people. If some people need food. Can you make us hungry? You look after how many restaurants and I want to know your, some of your favorite dishes. If we're going to come to your hotel this weekend, what should we eat? Sweet, one of my nice French toast, you know, with stuff with hashta and you know, a drizzle of honey and berry compote. Oh, it's just amazing! So, this is like a knaffa French toast. Voila! <laughs> oh, my goodness, <laughs> that sounds absolutely divine. Um, and, t- and in terms of Ramadan and Eid, what are, you, what are you planning on the dishes for that? Basically, we have a huge area, a huge food village, you know, you walk through different flavors from UAE, from India from Italy, from France, and this is your travel. Mm-hmm. But the sherry on the cake, this year we have a local counter where we have local food. We have a chef who's going to make exquisite local food. By rotation, you will have one day some UAE fish, you will have some vegetable from the farm, you have some local meat, Al Jazeera chicken, Al Jazeera eggs. This is just brilliant. I love your passion, Chef. I really, really do. I need to let you get back to the kitchen, though. Thank you so, so much. He's coming in as Chef's Whites. He's brought me a jar of jam. Chef Christophe Prudhomme, thank you so, so much. Merci beaucoup and see you very soon in the hotel. A bientôt, Chef. Thank you so, so much. He is exec chef at Millennium Plaza Downtown Hotel. And that Farm to Fork project is underway. Who wouldn't trust a chef that grew up on a farm? My goodness, he knows his produce. 
You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are talking about a cultural institution now, the Dubai brunch. I nearly said Friday brunch. That's how programmed I am. It's now a Saturday brunch, but also a Sunday brunch and sometimes a Tuesday night brunch. To guide us through the history and evolution, we have got the Middle East luxury reporter for Bloomberg News, Lisa Fleischer, joining us. She has an article on this very topic if you want to do a real deep dive. How are you, Lisa? Hi, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. We've we've lit an absolute light fire under the text line on this. Loads of people getting in touch, sharing their first Dubai brunch. Uh, one here saying it was Carter's and Waffy, sixty nine dirhams each. Mine was Spice Island. It had wow. a, it had a Polynesian theme, um, and that was seventeen years ago. And Jonathan saying, if you can remember your first Dubai brunch, you weren't there. Um, where and when was yours, Lisa? How long have you been in Dubai for? Well, my first, uh, when I moved to Dubai for the first time in 2018. And I have to say that I have some pictures from that brunch that I don't recall being taken. <laughs> this is the thing. It, it has evolved since, since my first one. And what I've found about my own personal evolution alongside the Dubai brunches, I, used to, I didn't mind queuing up for food when I was 25. That was absolutely fine. Now I'm like, we're going to go out for a nice lunch and you can... Please bring me food. I feel like the attitudes towards brunches have changed. But let's maybe, before we start talking Dubai brunch, let's talk about the idea of brunch itself internationally. Where and when did this concept develop? It's fascinating, actually. So the meal brunch, which um, I just have to say is defined as the meal between breakfast and lunch or a kind of combination of the two, was... um, was actually proposed in England um, by a writer who basically said, like, look, we need something to, uh, we need a meal on Sundays. And let's say this meal starts at, I don't know, 1230. And let's say it consists of coffee and tea and, um, you know, eggs and, and whatnot. And he wrote it, wrote about this, uh, proposed it in an article in 1895. The guy's name was Guy Beringer. Hero, and he said, you know, <laughs> and at the end, almost as a, uh, you know, he well, <laughs> yes, he was he was going into what types of foods could be eaten, breakfast foods, fish and meat and whatnot, um, basically, you know, kind of to be a, an alternative to something that was very proper or very prim. They just they just felt we needed a new meal. And he wanted to call it brunch. I mean, who doesn't like a good portmanteau of a word anyway? Which is where we've kind of got into trouble because now people are going, a drunch. Uh, before we debate this hot topic, um, when did brunch come to Dubai? Or brunch as we know it come to Dubai, Lisa? I think like anything that came to Dubai, it came to Dubai in the late 90s uh, or in the 90s. Uh, otherwise, people's memories don't go that far back. People have some specific meals that they recall at like a, a Marriott that no longer exists. But um, it was, you know, it was a way to get your money's worth during a time when maybe there weren't as many places to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it really kind of got going since it proved so popular uh, throughout the 2000s. Um, but I think that one thing that I pointed out, and the reason why I wrote my article, which published today at Bloomberg.com, is because I had noticed that there were more and more restaurants this year in particular that were starting to serve like weekday meals and calling them brunch. <laughs> so <laughs> Week- that... <laughs> yeah, weekday yeah 
evening meals and calling exactly. them brunch. And I understand no, it because it's like the, yeah. the, what you're really trying to do is sell this of going, you're going to have a meal and unlimited drunk drinks for a set package. Like it, that, that's, that's really what it's that kind of word association game that they're trying to tap into. But I interrupted you. Well, Tell me we more. know that because we live here. Mm-hmm. But when I moved here in 2018 and they told me we're going to brunch, I got ready for eggs Benedict. You know, I got ready for my pancakes. <laughs> and then I was like, what do you, what do you, wait, it's all you can eat. It's all you can, you know, it's all you can drink beverages and whatnot. And then next, what thing, is this, next what thing, is thing you know, you're calling <laughs> you've got a plate. And on that plate, you have got some biryani. You might have some oysters. Maybe there's some pick and mix in there. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm eating. Um, it's some, yeah. re- some really good messages on this, guys. We'd love you to go down memory lane. Tell us about your first brunch that you ever went to. As I said, we've had what, 69 dirhams, Carters and Waffee. I mean, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Yvonne says, 2007, 2008, a pool brunch where you rolled out of the pool at five. Isabella saying, mine was a Crown Plaza Dubai and then Spice Island. Renaissance Hotel. That was my first one. However, Isabella saying I was around five years old. I was 25 years old. I think we probably had quite a different experience on that one. Um, and I mean, are there anyone out there who remembers Waxy O'Connor's? So let me let me tell you, Lisa, about Waxy O'Connor's. So you would go there, you know, around your kind of 12 o'clock on a Friday and there'd be a full fry up, English fry up. And then at about Three o'clock in the afternoon, that would be packed up and they'd put out a full roast dinner. And if memory serves, and I'm not sure it does, I think it was 80 dirhams for two, essentially two buffets and five drinks. Um, And then the lights went off about six o'clock and then it was just, it was just chaos. Absolute chaos. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're in conversation now with Lisa Fleischer. She's the Middle East luxury reporter for Bloomberg News. And she's got an article that came out today looking at the history and the evolution of brunches in Dubai. And I keep on wanting to say Friday brunch, but it's not Friday anymore. It's a Saturday brunch. But actually, part of that evolution is that you can pretty much get brunch in Dubai on any given day. Oh, we should just say you've just had a baby, Lisa. And she just had her first radio appearance. Hi, Claire. <laughs> How, how yes hang on let's just have a quick bit of baby chat how well how many weeks is she now five weeks five weeks oh my gosh she's beautiful i can see her on teams um so this um this this evolution of being able to go and have a quote-unquote brunch on a tuesday night um do you think this is something that you know obviously restaurants are adopting in terms of bringing in in crowds, do you think it works for them economically? What do you reckon are the nuts and bolts business-wise behind it? Yes, I think that it's a reason for people to go out on a night that they wouldn't necessarily order um, ordinarily go out because they feel like, okay, look, um, I could either stay home, maybe order in, deliver, whatever, or I could go out on a Monday night and, hey, there's this uh, place I know I love and I can get a good deal there. So mm-hmm. it'll draw them out um, on a evening that they wouldn't necessarily uh, ordinarily go out on. You know, as for what it's called, um, I just feel like brunch in Dubai means such a specific thing. And so it's easy marketing yeah. for a restaurant to say, hey, we're hosting a brunch mm-hmm. and it's Wednesday night, <laughs> you know, starting at 830. And we get that. But 
you know, when I tell my mom I'm going to brunch on Tuesday night, she's very confused and that she lives in New Jersey and the time difference confuses her anyways. (laughs) Poor thing. I get it. I get it. Um, I mean, I'm, I would also think the shout out here on the, on the text line. Um, from Sean saying they can be a really cost-effective way of going to some really good restaurants. And I actually do agree with that. I think, you know, if you want to go and try a whole... Let's use Zuma as an example, you know, uh, where you can go and try pretty much the whole of the menu and obviously have some drinks if you choose to. Um, it can be a cost-effective way of doing it. I'm going to Tashka tomorrow um, beautiful um, brunch at the Mandarin Oriental, Portuguese food. I probably wouldn't go for dinner necessarily because I don't go out for dinner that much just because of the kids and the being tired. But to go for brunch and sit in the sun and have some incredible food and views with some friends, it can be, and I, I don't really have to think about cost effective and brunch in the same sentence, but when you break it down, it probably can make good money sense. Um, to the text line yes, we go. absolutely. And Sorry, Lisa, go on. You can, I was just going to say, you can definitely try some dishes that you wouldn't necessarily ordinarily try. Although you do see post-COVID some restaurants switching to a la carte mm-hmm. more um, because, you know, the buffet wasn't exactly the most hygienic sometimes it was felt. And then also as there's more focus on food waste, um, especially in the Emirate, it, you know, people are thinking um, maybe I shouldn't just put out a whole display of food that some people aren't going to eat. Let's mm-hmm. go, go to a la carte. I like it. I'm here for it. Don't make me queue in a, bu- or a buffet. Um, Celine <laughs> saying first brunch was the, oh my goodness, the lodge in Al Nasser in the year 2000 for about 50 dirhams. So this was, oh my goodness, the lodge, the outdoor dance, the school disco parties at the lodge. Very specific demographic of people listening will have experienced this. And I'm, I'm, we might have bumped into each other there. And Isabel is saying, highly recommend West Lodge, the JW Marriott Marquis for their brunches. The West Lodge is just fantastic all around. Um, Lisa, we've run out of time, but for anyone that does want to read your article, which has you know, a real deep dive into some of the history and obviously some shout out for some great restaurants that are offering brunch or drunch or whatever you want to call them, uh, what's the best way of accessing that article? Bloomberg.com or you can find me at Instagram at Lisa Fleischer, L-I-S-A-F-L-E-I-S-H-E-R. And uh, I've posted it to my stories. Thank you so much. You're an absolute star. Get back and enjoy some baby cuddles. And it's good. Thank you. Great great to catch up. um, And for many of you to take a bit of a trip down memory lane. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.